Welcome to Despirituality. We've got an exciting set of podcasts coming your way. They're all based on parenting teenagers and sort of college students, too. And what we're going to talk about in this first episode is the myth of the perfect family. Now, I want to remind those who are listening that, you know, we'll be talking about spiritual things and our our leaning is toward Christian scripture. But uh, that doesn't mean that if you don't believe in Christianity or you don't believe in God, that you won't benefit from this uh, wide ranging discussion today. Uh, we'll have some statistics for you. We'll have some scriptures for you. We'll have some stories from you for you. And today I have uh, four of my good friends, the Eliezer uh, Stone and Marilee Eliezer and the Kims, uh, Ray and Amy Kim. And they've uh, been willing to join us here on uh, Despirituality to talk about, as I've mentioned, the myth of the perfect family, perfect coming from the root uh, biblical word that means whole and complete and mature. Now, I don't know about you out there, uh, wherever you are, but I'm a perfectionist. I was in class once in high school, taking a required drafting class, and I kept drawing a line and erasing this line and drawing the line and erasing the line. And the teacher came over and said, are you having trouble? What's going on? I go, I can't get this thing right. And he said, hold on a minute. Just don't erase that one. Let me look. He goes, that's straight. That may be a 32nd of an inch off. What are you worried about? I was, I was a perfectionist because in my mind, I had set in my mind, this is the way it ought to be. And I just couldn't get until I, until I felt like it was exactly right. I couldn't get it. You know, Carly Fiorini, she's a former CEO of um, HP. She wrote a book and had a phrase she used when she was at the company called Good Enough because they were taking so long to get products out. She said, we have to get to a point where we're happy to have good enough because good enough is in fact good enough. We're not here today to talk about being perfect or getting things right uh, in every way in your home or your family. What we're trying to do is be able to share with you uh, through the lives of the Eliezer's, through the lives of the Kims and their experiences, observations, that whatever family we have, whatever things we're going through, that's normal. Anything that is contrived or pretend or uh, an attempt to appear on the outside as though everything's going right, it's actually not normal. Now, I want to get us started off with one of my favorite stories. It's a brief uh, snapshot of the story. Uh, I'm sure that the Eliezer's and the Kims are familiar with it. It's about Jacob, who is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Genesis 30, verse 25, it says, Now, when Rachel had given birth to Joseph, there's a long, 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 long story there. There's a lot of marriage problems in Jacob's family. There's a lot of kid problems. There's a lot of rivalries. I mean, it's a if you think you have family problems, they're nothing compared to Jacob and what Jacob had going on. Just absolutely nothing. And that's why Jacob's fun to read about, because he he's from the beginning of his life to the end of the life, it's like a tornado. Uh, now, when Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go back to my own place and my own country. So uh, Jacob had married Rachel and, and Leah. He had two wives, which that's a whole nother story about complexity and all that. But Laban was his father-in-law and he ended up working for his father-in-law. And I want you to think about that if you're listening. You end up working for your father-in-law. You're basically on his property, in his house, and so that's what Jacob's got going on. But he says at some point, you know, he's starting to have kids, got a big family. He says, hey, I want to stop working for you. I want to go out on my own. Here's what he says. He says, give me my wives and my children for whom I served you and let me go. For you know the work which I've done for you. But Laban said to him, if I've found favor in your sight, stay with me. For I've learned from the omens and divination and by experience that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He said, name your wages and I'll give it to you. 
Jacob answered him, you know how I've served you and how your possessions, your cattle, sheep, and goats affair with me. For you, and this is the big verse, Genesis 30, Genesis 30, 30, for you had little before I came and it has increased and multiplied abundantly and the Lord has favored you with blessings wherever I've turned. And then here's the clincher. But now, when shall I provide for my own household? There comes a point in every life, in every father and every mother's life, where they have to take all their goals and all their dreams and they have to say, okay, let me focus in on my household. Let me focus in on my family. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the myth of the perfect family. And I want to welcome again the Kims and the Eliezer's in. And I want to lead with the question. I'll start with the Eliezer's. What's this concept of the myth of the perfect family mean to you? And how do you think it can be important to those who are listening? Uh, well, I'll, I'll jump in and uh, explain from my own experience. I think I had developed a, pi a picture of the perfect family long before I had any real life experience that qualified me to have a picture of a, of a perfect family. Uh, I probably was in reaction to my own family that I grew up with, uh, opinions about how my parents, you know, uh, treated me, uh, looking at my friends and, and their families, and, uh, you know, came out of it with an idea that here's how my family's going to be. Of course, as I said, I had no experience to be qualified to have an opinion of a family, and so... Anyway, not to say the least, it was way off. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I, mine's probably a lot simpler than that in the sense of um, mine just started out with just, I thought, okay, that would be the perfect marriage. And, you know, the mom and dad, you know, uh, always, you know, connected in love, uh, ha having all the, you know, insight and wisdom. And then, you know, you get these kids that are like, they just, you know, are happy all the time. And, um, you know, I wasn't somebody that was, as a parent, focused and even growing up, focused on uh, education and career. Those would have been great to have in as a focus. But mine was more, do you feel the way you should feel? Do you feel good? Do, do, you know, so I think... Uh, yeah, I think I, I had um, wanted well-behaved children that were obedient, that were, you know, always just happy kids. That's probably, in my mind, the perfect, you know, family. Okay. Kim's, what are you thinking? <laughs> For me, the perfect family was where all of us, I'm just thinking about my own family I grew up in, we all had to, like, achieve right and behave right. So um, whether it was... Big my parents were big six or hey, you don't miss school for no reason. It's the perfect, you have to have a perfect attendance. <laughs> you know, you just have to do it. I don't care if you're sick or not, you're going to school and you just need to, you, you don't get to talk back. You just do as you're told. And everyone just kind of fell in line. Um, and so I think about that and I think about you, you have to achieve, you have to work hard. Um, and then we help, and our perfect family is always the one, you're always doing things together. Like, well, when dad says we're going camping, we all go together. When we go to the ski trip, we all go together. And we always, I remember every year we would have this perfect ski trip uh, family photo. And we all had our gear on and we all looked like we were one big happy family. Never mind the fact that none of us wanted to always be there or take the drive out. And Right, right. <laughs> I mean, but we had to all get together for the perfect ski trip picture as a family. And so for me... The perfect family is all about you have to act right and you better just get in line um, and do as you're told. So that was that was initially the, the myth I grew up with and, and how I my mindset about perfect family. Yeah, I think I think my is similar and the same. That is you have to act right, do right, achieve right. You have to be the most successful, be one of those doctor, lawyer, 
something like that. Um, and then on top of you have to do your music, your piano, your violin, <laughs> your, and then on top of you have to get to basketball, volleyball, everything. So if it's not that, then it's not perfect. Right. And I think I, for me, I actually grew up th- that the expectation for my family is that we are the perfect family because mm-hmm. my cousins and my relatives, they are uh, a little bit, not like my family is rich, but they're not as, uh, they're, they're not poor, but they just like less than what we have. And the kids mm-hmm. are more outwardly rebellious. We just have mm-hmm. it outwardly, we are together, but no one know that we were fighting at home, anything. But, but the pressure that I felt growing up to be the perfect family. Yeah. I want to pick up on that word pressure because I, I, one of the reasons that I uh, think you guys can help a lot of people uh, today is because there is a lot of pressure out there. Right. And, and, and some of this pressure is new for people. It's not, it's not the, it's not the, it's just not the same old pressures. Um, I know for me, and then I'll segue into this, a lot of, a, a great deal of my view of what a family ought to be came from television. And I would watch a television uh, program and I would think, oh, that's how it's supposed to be. And that really, I think, messed me up because I know, you know, no one really whispered in my ear and said, hey, Russ, that's a 30 minute or one hour program that's been scripted and and managed. And so I used to like I'm older than a lot of our listeners. And so I used to like the Brady Bunch. I used to watch the Waltons. Uh, I watched a show called The Jeffersons. And even though there were different issues that were brought up. A lot of the time I was like, okay, that's the way it's supposed to be. And as a result, there's almost a continual discontent. There was a continual discontent in me growing up in my own family because I was looking at these families and thinking, oh, we do this, that must be wrong because what I saw on television is that. And I think everybody gets their snapshot from somewhere. I feel like that, I had to break free of that in order as a parent to be able to to be a be a be a good parent because I you know Amy and Mary Lee are kind of juxtaposing the you know happy life and I want to be happy and the achieving life and I was way on the achieving life thing I didn't think about being I couldn't be happy without achievement and so when I had special needs kids I had to really toss out my view of how uh, how a family should be defined and 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 unload that burden which is a continual effort. Uh, the burden of perfection. And the reason I think this is important is not only have we, are we facing the usual views of this is how it ought to be. And remember folks who are listening, we're not saying perfect that no one makes a mistake, but we have a picture in our head. And if that picture doesn't take place and Ray talked eloquently about the perfect ski photo, I think the perfect Christmas photo, I mean, who hasn't toiled over that one? and trying to get everybody lined up and in the right way, or the perfect Christmas letter update. Here's what we're doing. And nobody writes down all the things that are going wrong. It's like a face, it's like a Facebook post. Nobody's writing down the things that go wrong. We're all, we're all writing down the things that are going right and maybe even exaggerating them a little bit. You know, it, go, it goes from a base hit to a home run to, you know, whatever it may be. But I wanna run through a couple of things because I think people are hurting out there that are parents. I think they're worn out. I think they're exhausted. I think they're tired. Twenty. The UNICEF put out a report that says 27% of the teenagers that uh, they polled uh, felt anxiety and 15% felt depressed. Young women reported specifically 
27% feeling anxiety, 15% feeling depression. I think we're living at a time in the pandemic where that's a case, where because of the pandemic, people are feeling, and girls in particular here, an increase or 27% feel anxiety, 15% feel depression. The research also found that one in two teenagers felt less motivated to do activities they normally enjoy. That's 50% of teenagers felt less motivated to do activities they normally enjoy. So if you're out there listening and you're wondering, well, why am I so tired? Or why is life so much more stressful? It's because not only are we feeling our burdens, but our kids are feeling more burdened than they uh, should. 43% in the UNICEF, 43% of young women feel pessimistic about the future compared to 31% of men. So you've got over 30% of men, over 40% of young women feeling pessimistic, negative, not thinking things are going to work out. And so if you're out there listening and you're wondering, maybe why am I dealing more with discouragement in my kids? Why maybe are they being more resistant or stubborn? Uh, it can be because they're getting more pessimistic. Why are their grades dropping? And so it's important for us to see the landscape of the post-pandemic, not that we've gotten past the pandemic, but after the just the surge of two years that we look at that. And sometimes we would just want to run on and keep going instead of take a look at this. Among those who felt the need to ask for help regarding their physical and mental well-being, one in three ask for help from their closest circle of family and friends. Now that's really important because sometimes as parents, we can think that we don't have any influence and our kids don't want to listen to us. And yet one in three kids are looking to family and they're looking to friends for the support they need in the midst of this. And finally, three out of four have felt the need to ask for help regarding their physical and mental well-being. So it's not just emotional health. They're feeling it physically, and I know we can all feel it physically. Despite having felt the need to do so, two out of five did not ask for any help. So it's very possible that we've got a kid that we may think, I'm a bad parent. And I think there's a lot of information out there that sort of promotes the idea of parents need to get better. They need to know how to talk to their kid. They need to know how to listen to their kid. They need to know. And so I think a lot of parents feel a tremendous amount of stress. And I juxtapose these two things, the desire to be the parent we need to be, but we're not getting the outcome we want with our kid. And then the discouragement that comes from that, because we feel like we're failing as a parent. And I'm not sure outside of marriage, there's anything more discouraging to feel like you're as a failure as a parent. So what I want you guys to talk about for a moment is how do you manage, and you can you can just kind of roll this over in your mind a little bit, how do you manage discouragement as a parent? Because I think the primary burden in the myth of perfection is the expectation that we can solve all of our kids' problems, the expectation that we can protect them from everything, the expectation that we gotta be able to sit down with them and persuade. That's what frustrates me, is that sense of I need to be the do-all. Now, I would interject in there. I think that that's where God comes in, but maybe you can talk about it, because I think a lot of people really need help 
from people I've talked to, they really need help knowing how to handle this discouragement, this sense of failure, because they have this outcome they think they ought to be getting and they're not getting it. Can, can, can Ray, can you maybe start us on that, Ray or Amy? Yeah, I think, I mean, gosh, the discouragement, that, that, that rings true, whether it is, uh, I mean, we have a son with special needs and there's certain outcomes I've, I would always want him to respond a certain way. Um, and more recently, just my daughter who is transitioning from teenage years to college. Um, initially, my discouragement uh, of whether my daughter's not talking to me or I'm having a really hard time getting through to her. Uh, she's not listening to me. Like My discouragement comes out as anger. Uh, and I just get angry and I start pressing in harder or I say, well, let me put some more controls on her. No, well, you don't get this. You don't do that. Um, and that, that's just shuts her down more. Um, and then in the past, what I've done is I've isolated or just kind of brood or how self-pity, like you're saying, Russ, like, oh man, I'm failing. I'm, I'm blowing this. Like, I don't. Can you talk a little that. more about that, Ray? Because I think, I think what, what sometimes we as men don't do is we, we, we talk a lot about the problem and what we need to solve or fix, but we don't talk about our emotions. What are the emotions surrounding the discouragement that you end up feeling? Like, you know, I, 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 I you know, I don't think any kid does anything the way we want it with any consistency because they're a human being. And so, I, but I think we oftentimes need to deal with our emotions and and our feelings. And I think it might be, if you could talk about some men feelings that we have, <laughs> yes. besides anger, because I think oh, anger is, yeah, yeah a, a uh, lot of men are like, hey, I, I got the anger. But I think there's some other feelings that we there, can have. I mean, there's feelings where I can get, I feel hurt. I could take it personally. Like you're, this is a personal attack to me. Uh, I could feel insecurity of, oh my gosh, I have no idea what to do. And um, I, I don't know how to handle this. There's um, that feeling of powerlessness. I just feel like I just have no control over this and I can't do anything in my power. So that powerlessness, the discouragement, um, and it also anxiety, it induces in me something I, Amy could say this, I get more anxious. I get more anxious about, okay, if it's, if it's going like this, what's going to happen tomorrow? Or is this ever going to get changed? And then I get hopeless in those moments. I'm just, mm. And these emotions go on, like I get anxious, then I get hopeless. And I'm like, yeah. you know, and then I get really self, um, I don't know another word. I get self-loathing. Like Ray, see, you're just terrible. You're just not a good, mm. you're not good at this. So, Ray, Ray, some of us didn't go to Cal. Can you tell us what <laughs> self-loathing means? Uh, <laughs> um, I get really... Um, self-pity, I get down on myself, or I start thinking I start thinking of all the negative things of why I'm just not good at this. And so now it's less about my kid, it's, not, it's about my incompetence. So you, so you get really negative on oh, yourself. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, and when, you, and, 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 and when you get negative on yourself, what, what, does that make you more discouraged or less discouraged? You know, does that it, work? It makes me- Does that work, does it work to be more <laughs> negative? Does that, I know, does that I, get you where you wanna be? I, I've tried it a lot and- <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, you've been working yeah, at it. I've been working at it. Yeah. But honestly, what I found myself, I, I just get really apathetic after a while. I just, uh, I get so discouraged and I'm like, this yeah. isn't changing. So, mm. you know, I'm not even going to try anymore. And let me just move see, on. See, I think, I think for a lot of, a lot of, a lot of us guys, I think that, that we don't, we don't like to talk about those feelings. Yeah. Right. And, and, and we'll, we'll, we, I, I know I don't, I'm not a, parent expert or none of that stuff, but just commenting as a parent and yeah. on what you're talking about, um, it's easy for me to want to not deal with the emotions right. and fix the problem. 
And so let me go fix my sons or let me go fix my, or let me go solve the family dilemma. Mm -hmm. Instead of sitting in the moment spiritually and praying spiritually about the fact that, and this is, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound like I know what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm just saying this is what I have to deal with my own emotions. Mm -hmm. I can't help my kids with their emotions if I don't even know what mine are. Mm -hmm. And so I think what you just shared is so excellent because it helps us as men realize it's not, and and I don't mean to be stereotypical here, but it's not just our wives that have emotions about Mm -hmm. family. But sometimes we as men can act that way. We can act like, well, you know, why, you know, I mean, why not settle now? We'll get this under control. Mm -hmm. But, but we're not ever talking about emotions or whatever. Mary Lee, you were, you you sound like you, you think some things about that. (laughs) Uh, So I want to hear, I want to, I want to hear what you're thinking. Yeah, for sure. I, um, well, I wanted to inject a scripture here because it's so true in terms of we've got to connect our heart. We've got to look to our heart. But it says in Psalm 62, 8, it just says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him for God is our refuge. And, you know, I just know that I feel I through parenting, I felt a ton, feel a ton at times. But, you Mm -hmm. know, during the hard times, it's so easy to go to the, you know, like Ray is saying, just the deep discouragement Mm -hmm. and sadness. And then it's hard to get out of your own way. And yet, if you really pour out your heart, like God's going to be able to, you know, you have to fix, you have to go you look at your heart with God is what I'm trying to say. It's not Absolutely. just, yeah. And uh, I know, um, it, it, you know, I, I do laugh because I do know it has been a process um, for, you know, stone to, um, you know, to be able to recognize it, uh, an emotion and, <laughs> and there to, we go. yeah, you know, and to see his heart yeah. and like, whereas I would, uh, I'm not trying to say I've got it all together, but where I would start a prayer off with, Oh God, I'm so anxious. And you know, I feel so much. And, and he'd be, you know, that wasn't stone's first go-to in a, in a prayer time together, you know, like it was more like you're saying, Russ, like um, how to fix this problem and God give us the, you know, eh, wisdom or whatever, which is awesome. I think it's the combination of the two, right? I mean, I, you know, I have to be more of a fixer and less of a feeler at all times, you know, and I think that's where faith comes in, you know, but anyway, yeah. Well, the reason I think it's important what you and Ray are talking about, and I can bring uh, Amy and Stone in here and they can just jump in, is because I think, it's easy to underestimate how discouraged mm-hmm. parents are. I'm not being negative, right. and I don't think mm-hmm. it's about they're discouraged mm-hmm. just because yes. they're selfish. I think parents are discouraged because they've been in two year, two plus years of pandemic, right. and, mm-hmm. and, and certainly different people are responding different ways. Some people are going, I'm just gonna go back to living my life. That's fine, and I'm not gonna do any mitigation, and people are really happy they don't have to do any mitigation, and that's fine. But the issue is that two years have gone by, and no matter what I say, you say, those two years had an impact. Yeah. And right. if, the, if, if, yep. if, if the things that, that impacted us don't start to come out, mm-hmm. then they're gonna go deeper in and they're gonna yeah. become more problematic. And I, I think that there, you know, um, there's a tendency to think only kids with mental health problems are affected. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone has mental health. Mm-hmm. Therefore, everyone is affected in their mm-hmm. mental health. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. so while we may not be clinically uh, diagnosed as something, we can still have great deal of anxiety. We can mm-hmm. still have depressive thoughts mm-hmm. about ourselves as parents. And I know another thing, and I want uh, Stone can jump in on this. 
and, and then Amy can follow with whatever she thinks. But I think another place we as men can go is we can say, well, I can't control what's going on at home, so let me do better at work. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, so maybe you can talk about that for a minute, Stone. Yeah, I think I think the thing that kids and parenting does is it exposes the inadequacies that we refuse to accept growing up. I mean, I had a picture of what a dad should look like. Some of it was shaped by my own dad. And when I started parenting as a dad and I was failing miserable because of my inability to connect emotionally or identify emotions or I was afraid of emotions. And so I would get in there and try to help and it would end badly. And so then I'm going, I just made it worse. Merrily, you know, kind of politely pushing me out of the room. Uh, maybe if you could stop talking, this would not get as, you know, trying to, trying to manage my, you, you're, you're only making it worse. Can I talk to you for, I'd be talking to the kids, goes, can I talk to you for a minute in the other room? Can I just get a minute with you? And like, yeah, you're, you're, you're actually making it all worse. And I, I would get very discouraged by that and then feeling very inadequate and uh, you, you, so it, you do put pressure on yourself to go find something that makes you feel good about yourself or feel, and parenting could be one of the things that make you feel the worst about yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And because you're not, you're, you're, you're dealing with areas you've not had any experience or training and you're trying to use experiences of your own that, and your kids are not you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're applying the things that work for you when you're a kid and it's not working for them. Then you feel like you're failing. So it's a, it's a, it's a vicious cycle of, of a downward, you know, discouragement and creating self doubt and like gray self pity yep. and things like that that happen. But yeah, it's rugged. It's rugged. Particularly, most dads have no experience dealing with emotions. I had two girls before I had a boy, and I would just get mm. defeated in the girl situation. I was trying to help. I f- had a logical progression of thought, right? Well, if that makes you feel bad, let's stop doing that. And of course, that didn't work, right? Because I didn't. I you don't you don't understand. And I had a so long way to go. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's that. Parenting is a humbling experience, yes. and because you're trying to do something you're not experienced at, and you're doing it in real time, and the stakes are high. Well, so, and, and, and I, I want to bring Amy in on on a slightly different take on that because we talked. You know, I've, I've led us into I think an important conversation about. What we can experience negatively with emotions, there are tons of positive emotions all as feel. So if you're listening, I'm not trying to say we're not right. excited about our kids graduating from middle school, high school, college, right. getting jobs, right. and and we we've, right. we've all experienced levels mm-hmm. of that overcoming challenges in their mental health or overcoming challenges. But we've all experienced these positive things. But it's important that we don't just put that forth because a lot of times that's what's put forth. Right. What's put forth is here's all the great things that have gone great. And, and then everybody who's maybe not experiencing great just gets discouraged. So yeah. what I'm trying to do is get us to empathize yep. with the individuals that we, that are out there, which are mo- many and most of us, I think after a pandemic uh, a barrage that it's okay to feel those feelings. But, yeah. and this is where I want to bring Amy in. I hope she could talk about this a little bit. And I'm, I, this is just conjecture on my part. I don't live this, I don't know this, but I think this may be true. That we have to be careful judging ourselves as failures as parents because our kids either don't achieve or don't manage themselves well. Mm-hmm. That, that, I guess it's a question I'm asking and Amy can get some help from all of you. 
I'm not sure that we should make a direct correlation between how we parent and how our kids behave right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. all the time. And so Agreed. maybe Amy, you can start us talking out about that and anybody's got some scripture on that can join in too. Yeah, I think I think a lot come down to, uh, the, the scripture come to mind is Ecclesiastes chapter four, uh, verse four, it say, and I saw that all toils and achievement spring from one person envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I think what I learned about as a parent is that you can do all the right thing. And, but if you're always competing, you always go feel like you're the loser. And I think that's mm. how I grew up that I'm always getting compared to my friends and relatives. And so I hated the pressure. So now with my daughter, I feel like I try to, I don't expect her to be have perfect A's and I don't expect her to do other sports. But even now me, we were talking yeah. Well, like she was telling me the other day, she's like, mom, I only get straight A this time because I didn't try it really hard. I supposed to get A plus. And I was like, well, but we didn't parent you that way. We never put expectation, right? So I don't think how we parent really relate to how your kid come out. I think it, it helped. But I think what I learned is parenting is uh like Stone says, a very humbling process. Like I know for me, I have a really hard time as a mom to be the nurturing one, to be the one that like, feel like you have to connect with your daughter, have those conversations, your best friend. I have to really learn and work on that. I think being parent is you just keep on learning to get to know your kids because each kid is different. And then we have a kid, I have a son that has special needs and he's completely different than our daughter. Our daughter is more compliant. So I think it's learning about your kids. It's, there's no uh, right or wrong or what is the outcome. It's learning to help them to be successful in their own way. I love that. I love that. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to try to hold on to that. I think for me, the, there was a real strong feeling that because I had good intentions, it should work out. And I think every parent does have good intentions. I think every parent wants to love their kid. They yeah. truly love their kids. And I think they want the best for their kids. They want to do what's best for them. But be, because we, we really, re, we're sort of saying to ourselves, I have good intentions, therefore everything should be going a certain way based on my intentions. But we're not, I was not trained well to handle emotions or I did. I had a very, very narrow, specific what perfection looked like. I thought my kids would, would, would think everything that came out of my mouth was awesome. Well, I know that, that's how it, I feel. Yeah. I know that's. I know that's what I think when you speak. That they, that, I don't understand why they don't. That, that, that they would like the same music that I like. That they would have. They'd like the same teams I like. They would Springsteen, Florida. Springsteen. I get it. It's all uh, working for me. I actually, when Springsteen came on the radio, I would turn it off and I would tell my kids, you're not worthy of Springsteen. You can't, exactly. you're not worthy to listen to them. <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't hear it if I played it for you. Exactly. exactly. So, uh, but I do think that that's something we get discouraged just because we have good intentions and we don't, don't realize that so much of this is learning and adjusting and adapting and being flexible uh, to, to know how to meet the needs of our kids, which is a learning process. Yeah. Well, if, if, if I look at the scriptures and the Bible, and we'll talk some about that, and all you guys are sharing is so inspiring and encouraging. And I think if someone's out there listening as a parent, I, I just hope they're really 
they're they're I, I don't I hope they're feeling comforted, you know, like, oh, OK, I can I can ease off myself a little bit yeah. because mm-hmm. I think Absolutely. that 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 doesn't mean don't do anything. That doesn't Absolutely. mean don't grow and change. But when we put I think Amy says when we put that level of pressure on ourselves. Right. I think that pressure goes to our kids. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's the the thing that's not good and it we may not say you need to accomplish something but we're we're feeling pressure to get them someplace and I do think biblically there's a responsibility that that children have. <laughs> like like I think sometimes as parents we can forget oh yeah they have a job to do. You know, I I my parents like I laugh cuz I tell my kids I go uh, my parents didn't talk to me like this. They didn't sit down and explain anything like that. They, listening. And my parents were great. Like, I, I, I wouldn't say my parents did anything that kept me from turning out great. But my parents weren't about to go like, they were like, we got jobs. Right. We can't we can't sit here and try to be Mr. I know I'm going to age myself here. Hopefully people can remember. We can't be Mr. and Mrs. Brady. Mr. Yep. and Mrs. Brady have a maid. Yep. Miss, Miss, Mrs. Brady doesn't have a job. You know, my mom's like, I got a job that, you know, you know, it, it, it's it's all this stuff. You know, it's like when and even Mr. Brady, I mean, he'd be at work sometimes, but he seemed always available to talk to his kids. Right. And so right. I think I think there was a responsibility on me as a kid. I want to read some scripture and just see what you guys think about as far as us as parents not being mad at our kids or saying, why aren't you doing this? But at least understanding that, like every relationship, especially parenting of teens, there should be a level of mutuality to it. Like each person coming to the table saying, I'm trying to be part of it. Understanding one is, you know, less mature in experience, right. but still there has to be that. My parents and I, you know, my, my, my parents would say, hey, we need you to do some chores around the house, wash dishes, help out, take out the trash. I didn't want to do any of that. Right. Right. And I would, I would make a mess for, for, on purpose. <laughs> I'd bang the dishes. I'd, and my mom would be Shame. like, okay, get out of the kitchen, go. But finally they said, okay, look, you're gonna have to do something. You, you can do the outside work. And yeah. we had a pretty big, you know, our large lot and all that. So I had to mow the lawn, water the grass. And in Michigan, that was every day. Mm-hmm. Like you had to mow it, trim something and water like every day. So I was always doing that. And I actually learned to enjoy that. But my, my parents were more like, um, this is what we need from you. And we are working. We don't have time, you know, to do all this for you. Yeah. And and it helped me grow. Now, right. I, I'm just saying I had a responsibility. Right. And I think sometimes in society that we live in today, the difference between the Bible sometimes and some societal forces is there's not any responsibility that the kid needs to come to the table doing things. Proverbs 1, 9 in the easy to read version. What you learn from your parents will bring you honor and respect like a crown or a gold medal. In Proverbs 5, 12. Then you will say, why didn't I listen to my parents? Why didn't I pay attention to my teachers? I didn't want to be disciplined. I refused to be corrected. The Bible is pointing out, many parents know their responsibility, but they're also pointing out, well, there's some receptivity that a kid has to decide to have. And lots of kids have it, but some don't. In Proverbs 6.22, when you walk about, they, the godly teachings of your parents, when you walk about, they, the godly teachings of your parents will guide you. When you sleep, they will keep watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. Proverbs 6.22 in the Amplified Version. You know, my parents taught me a lot of things, especially because I was a, growing up in the late, the 70s pretty much, but 
They taught me you're going to face racism. Right. And here's how you need to handle it. And my parents did, they, they taught me, I mean, th- this isn't for everybody, but they taught me achieve, right. mm-hmm. achieve yeah. and don't, don't fulfill anybody's stereotype. I'm not advocating that. I'm simply saying my parents taught me, I listened mm-hmm. to it and it worked. Yeah. Proverbs 623, your parents give you commands and teachings that are like lights mm. to show you the right way. This teaching corrects you and trains you to follow the path to life. That's Proverbs 623 in the easy to read version. Again, I'm just grabbing some stuff. Anybody could do a study like this. I'm grabbing scriptures that mean something to me. And it's saying that in addition to me trying to be the best friend I can be, part of it is also the receptivity of the kid. I know all of you have some kids that are really receptive. And maybe you can just speak for a minute about how that has helped you as a parent, meaning your kid coming to the table saying, I'm going to try to be this, maybe without you even mentioning anything, so that other parents out there can realize that it shouldn't just be you trying to grow. It should be your teenager trying to grow. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. I think yep. that's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Bible says it, so it must be right. Yes. I could speak to this. Um, I could share about, you know, even my with my daughter. There are times where, uh, you know, she sees me visibly frustrated and trying to get her um, the thing that's also humbling in a, I, I, in a good way is there are times where she's actually come back and owned up to not just a, not just a, just a, an apology, but also explaining. Here's what I was feeling. I was really stressed out and anxious, and I don't I didn't know what to do. Um, and seeing her come back, that it made me realize, oh, this this is a relationship. I mean, in those emotional moments I'm in, I forget. Mm-hmm. There's a mutuality. Like yeah. there needs to be a give and take here, not just do what I say. And if you don't, I'm mad at you. But where she's had to come back and and own things, and then I see her later on take initiative. And I'm thinking, oh, it's because we had a connection. There's a relationship. There's no, um, there's no. Hey, this you know, A B C. Here's what you need to go do, and let me just fix you. But uh, that actually has helped our relationship grow. And I that's when I realized this is not always about me. Um, cause I could get really self-focused and selfish in my parenting too, but realize, no, she's, a, she's growing into an, a young adult and she needs to also hold to some of these standards in the Bible, um, and realize that she actually affects our relationship too. Like she actually has, uh, influence on us mm-hmm. in our, in the relationship. And I think that has been something that we've had to change or evolve because as a kid, you know, when she was younger, it was just all command and control or, you know, eat your, (laughs) eat the rest of your food on the plate. But now it's fast forward. Oh, there's actually a relationship here. And, you know, so let me just, let me just interject there. So what you're, I want to make sure I understood what you said. So you're saying that something happened. I don't know what it was and it doesn't matter to me, Um, but something happened. And then she came back to you. Right. And said, Hey, here, let me take responsibility for what happened in that situation. And let me explain to you why I was the way I was. And then it sounds like that relieved you of a burden of maybe how you were feeling about the interaction. Did I get that right? Uh, Yes, absolutely. And I remember it was because I had asked her about doing something at home and, and she, oh, she was, she had, she made this huge mess and she was working on some big project and left everything all up and we had people coming over and she got really angry um, when we had asked her, hey, we need your help cleaning up the house. We're getting ready here. And 
And then she kind of <laughs> got angry and gave us the look and I'm like, okay. You know, and that, it's just that <laughs> We've look. We've all experienced the look. <laughs> and then at that moment, I'm like, I don't have time to deal with this right now. <laughs> like, but we will, but we will revisit this. And yeah, Russ. And so she came back and it helped me to understand when she came back taking responsibility. No, this is what was really going on inside me. I was angry. I was guilty because I didn't do it the first time. I knew it was going to affect you guys. I was anxious about it. And yeah, I was selfish. And that's not right. That's That hurts you guys. Mm-hmm. And when she realized there was an impact on the relationship and she take, she's taking responsibility for that, that actually helped relieve the pressure off of me of I'm going to that whole self-loathing. I'm like, did I, was I too harsh? Did I react too much? Or no, she actually is a person too. And she's in a relationship and she needs to take ownership of that. Yeah, I yeah. I think yeah. I think for me is more like you know we have a situation similar to that too with my daughter is, uh, you know, and I think I reacted more on when I tell her to do some. Oh, I was trying to help her to do more stuff, and she got mad, and then I become silent because I get insecure and I get afraid, and I don't really want to deal with the conflicts right. emotionally to figure out what this attitude is about. So then I just then we just. We were driving, so I said, like, okay, let's just go get Boba because then it gave me a time to go pray myself silently and then she can gather herself. And so when we come back, you know, when we, once we get Boba, and Boba help, right? every, <laughs> make everything happy. And so, um, so then she come back and she's like, oh, mom, I was feeling all these other things. So when you tell me one more thing, I can't handle that. So I'm... Mm. That's why I'm mad at not you per se, mm-hmm. but just mad at the extra thing that I cannot handle. And I think those moments, I, for me, it's like it's a good opportunity for me to even share. Like, oh, I feel this way all the time. Like, I have a list of I was overwhelmed that day myself, and if other people tell me to do stuff. I get mad too. So I think it become more a conversation right. that we help each other than just me giving her everything, you know, but she also feel like, okay, oh, my mom also had feelings. She get overwhelmed too. So it become more a conversation and a relationship. I, I think what I hear you saying is, you know, that when our children uh, take responsibility or, you know, they start to mature or accept, you know, accept some of the things that we're trying to teach them um, and, you know, in building their character or whatever, but one, not to give up because sometimes we can get get discouraged when there's not that response. Like, oh, you know, I'm really trying here, but and I tried that scripture, or I tried to talk, uh, tried to draw them out, but we give up very easily as parents. And I do think that it is very rewarding when you see the I don't know what do you benefit or the outcome or what, you know, the response, the responsibility, like you were saying of them when they take that. I, I think Stone was really good at just giving our kids more perspective growing up, like the bigger picture. Let me tell you what's happening. Uh, and, and so it, it, it helped them, you know, to go away and really think and and gather that, you know, combine that with, you know, scriptures we were teaching them stuff. I know I wanted to back off a lot more. I was easily backing, wanted to back off when I felt like, oh, they're uncomfortable. So that balance together really helped in the sense of like, we're building something here. There's a, there's a bigger picture to this versus 
quitting and giving up when, oh, you know, my kid didn't answer that, you know, that question, you know, with more than one word or whatever. So I think that it's a a process for sure. And knowing there are rewards, God, you know, that God set it up that way so that we, you know, uh, you know, I'll let Stone uh, chime chime Uh, in here. But I, I know there were times in my kid's life where I was pretty sure that they thought that my job was to ruin their life. <laughs> that was that's why I got up in the morning. That's what I planned, and everything I did or wanted them to do was directly against anything that would make them their life better. And I don't. <laughs> I wish I had one of those stories where there was an immediate like, "Hey, uh, I didn't want to take out the garbage. Take out the garbage," and I came back with a contrite like, "Yeah, thanks, Dad. Thanks for making me do that." <laughs> You, 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 I don't have any of those in my memory bank, but I do have many times when there was the pressure on like, why can't we do this? This other family's doing it. This, my friends get to do those things. And I, I, I do remember one time where I made one of my kids go back and said, I don't think you know that family very well. Why don't you ask your friend more about how things are going at home? And when they went back and talked to their friends, I do remember him coming back and saying, yeah, there's a lot going on at their house. Mm-hmm. And he named some specific things. Uh, and, and I said, and, and he went like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see, it didn't occur to me that some of the things that made his life easier were actually driven by harder things that were going on or deeper, challenging things, parents breaking up, uh, you know, the, uh, another kid getting into some major trouble. Their, their family life did not look on the inside what it appeared on the outside. And so what that kid was wanting to do was find relief, and it wasn't in a good way of doing it. So I do remember that, but I do think the times when they think that we're, our job is to ruin their life, right. uh, that we have to, to stay stay the course and know that eventually they're going to see the other side uh, or they're going to see the why and they'll appreciate it then. And then we go back and have that. um, I think that kids like to carry the badge of honor, which is I had it toughest. My kid, my parents were the most strictest, you know, we're we're the most strict. I had it worse at home. You don't believe they kind of like to brag in their circle of friends uh, of who's got it worse at home. That's kind of street cred, I think, right? Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but whose parents are the most strict? Whose won't let them do anything? Uh, but I do think that the, the time is on our side, and they usually see the wisdom and everything that was happening and are grateful later. Well, I, I and, and that's certainly true. I think there are parents out there that are probably going, uh, 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 no, that's not true. Uh, my kid never saw the wisdom of what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't have any, nothing no, no, was I'm not, immediate. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm saying, I'm saying to this day. Yes. Like, right. you, okay. You, right. Your experience has been, we have to, sometimes it's in the, in a, in the uh, spiritual slash Christian community. Yeah. We have to not only acknowledge, but encourage those who did all those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the kid didn't listen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And 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 help them even as they're sitting here now, to hear what you're all saying, which is, don't get don't give up, right? Yes, right. Yeah, exactly. And 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 the idea of the myth of perfection is, and don't compare yourself to the Kim's kid coming back and saying, <laughs> I understand, 
I shouldn't have done. And I know it's right. not what you guys are saying that she yeah, always does no. that, but I understand. <laughs> I articulate my emotions with, you know, just precision, uh, unknown and unseen and unspoken by anybody under the age of 19. Yeah. Like I think sometimes the way we as parents hear things when things aren't going well, yeah. makes it sound like someone said something they didn't say. Mm. And I, each of you are saying, it's been a mess. It's yeah. been a struggle. Totally. And Absolutely. that, and that, that is normal. Yes. Right. yes. I think until we say normal is it, as you said, Stone, it doesn't go in a straight line. Right. And, and, and I know um, uh, a, a psychologist, clinical psychologist, like I just will tell you that certain kid, well, that for the, I, I have some book references I'll give people in a minute that'll help with this, but certain kids, well, no, most teenagers don't, their brain doesn't fully mature till 25. That's right, Correct. absolutely. And, yep. then, and, then, and then certain kids, you won't even see the level of maturity some of you are describing until they're in their mid-20s. And I think some of the difficulty we have is, as, as all of us have, is we, we're expecting a level of maturity that our kid is incapable of, and their life can be making our life hard as they try to reach for that maturity. My daughter and I were talking one day and she said, I bet you, and that was her tone, I bet you were one of those kids who came home from school and did your homework. <laughs> she said it to me like that. <laughs> I, and I was like, yeah, I, I, I was one of those kids. Uh, she goes, I knew it. And, 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 and I think in my mind, you know, uh, I, when I was start when I was uh, 10, uh, nine, 10, I was going to the library, checking out books and I'm dating myself. And I, you had a maximum of six books you could check out a week. And I would check out six books a week and bring them home. I thought that was like the fun thing you did when it was raining or snowing in Michigan. <laughs> it was only later in my life that I well, discovered that there weren't a, a lot of other people doing that. No. Oh yeah. They were, they were trying to have fun and they were trying to enjoy themselves. So I think some of the perfection mystic mindsets we have yes. is we think, especially if we were an achieving oriented person, oh, yeah. Yeah. not that, not that everyone doesn't achieve, yes. but we, we're trying to, we're trying to get some love from our achievement. At least that's how I was. Uh -huh. We can, we can sort of look at other people and go, well, why aren't you doing that? Well, because it's no fun because it's not really going to make me happy. And so I think that's what the mess is. I think. Yeah. Uh, and, and another thing I want to just talk about before we begin to close down and you guys have been great. I wish we could go on forever because I think it's just, I like talking about it. Yeah. It helps me is the idea, I talked to a couple of guys um, some time ago, a couple, three months ago or so, and we were talking about a lot of things, and, um, and, and one of them said, you know, I just, I, just, I just really blew it because this particular kid of mine never became a Christian, and, you know, I just feel like, man, I, you know, I have so many things I did wrong, and I said, well, you know, two things, it's not over, and two, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's how we want to be thinking. Right, and right. I think that's a tremendous burden on a lot of people. And I, I, I mean, look, I don't, I don't have any um, doubt that the ideal would be that we're able to pass our faith on uh, to our children. It right. makes the world better. Mm -hmm. right. It makes their lives better. Right. Their marriages better. Their families better. Because only when you have faith in God do you have the resilience, the endurance, the character, the tenacity, the sensitivity, the compassion, the comforting ability, the encouraging ability to be able to be the best parent. Right or spouse we can be. So you want them to have faith. And, yeah. and we live in a world that doesn't have a lot of faith and that is constantly offering solutions 
that don't include God. Right. And uh, I was going through the UNICEF uh, statistics that I shared earlier, and they were really great, but they listed out community things. I think it was that article or a Harvard article I was reading. They list out ways community can get better, but it's not like they put church in there. Mm. Some yeah. people do, but, but a lot of people don't. And so one of the things I think we should just say a word about is that you can't grade yourself out and say you failed mm -hmm. because your kid didn't believe at a certain time. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. And 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 I, I think there's a lot of that that gets into the head because the the forces of darkness and almost every religion on earth believes that there's darkness. So I don't think that's really up for debate. Even secular believe people believe in the philosophy of evil. And so it's out there. But I think all that 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 push that's evil, that push that's darkness, that push that's coldness, wants us to to, to give up and to yeah. say, you know, it, it, I'm done, it's useless, it's pointless. And I think when we do that, it takes something out of our heart when we stop believing that even impossible things can come true. But if you guys were to give a word to people out there who maybe are like, I've done everything you guys are doing. I've tried all these things. I've spent thousands of dollars and my kid still won't listen to me or my kid is still defiant and, and or my kid uh, doesn't wanna be a part of anything related to God or my kid doesn't share my values. What word of encouragement could you give uh, people so that they can stay hopeful and faithful. And, and we're not even saying that they have to force their kid to believe anything, it's not that. It's that they keep their faith intact as the turbulence comes their way and keep believing in the impossible things that they want to see come true can come true. Um, I mean, uh, I would say there's a scripture that comes to mind, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. it talks about how um, everybody goes through testing and it says that, uh, he will screen and filter the severity, nature, and timing of every test or trial you face so you can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of, its, out of it victoriously. I know we've had a lot of times of testing where I want to quit. I want to give up. I don't want to have the conversation the fourth or fifth time, the same conversation I thought I had with my kids <laughs> last yeah. week or last month. But I think the hope is there is always a way through the testing, meaning because of it, um, it's helped Amy and I had to figure out we need some other friends in our life mm -hmm. to help us. Uh, we can't raise our kids by ourselves. It takes a village. Yes. It takes friends. Um, and even when things seem hopeless or frustrating or I'm at my wit's end, it's also an opportunity through that testing for me to actually have to reach out and get friends and connect with people. And it also has helped me empathize more because I grew up pretty entitled and spoiled and taken care of. And, and I realized, oh, this actually helps me connect with a lot of other my friends who go through this mm -hmm. level of empathy that mm -hmm. I would not have developed or even been a, even clued in on without the testing. So this always helps me to realize there's always an opportunity to whatever we're going through for more strength, more help, more relationships, and, and how God mm -hmm. surrounds us with those ways out or solutions. You know, uh, so Marilyn and I have three kids and one of our kids decided to not want to pursue a relationship with God and left God and really lived in a way that was challenging for us to accept, very, very defeating for us uh, for about 10 years. And um, one of the scriptures that I held on to that made that really made the difference for me is in Ephesians 1 and verse 11. It says, uh, 
In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And what that scripture helped me through the tar- darkest time is what, what God is always, regardless of what decisions we make, his plan for us or our kids never changes. He's always, he'll work out everything, every bad decision they make, you know, every, everything that they, that you uh, disapprove of, whatever it is, he'll work it out in accordance with the, his plan. So he's, he's kind of like our GPS. You, you don't turn where he tells you to turn. They go recalculating, but they, they're always trying to get you to the place. God's always trying to get our kids to the place he wants them to get. And he will take their wrong turns and figure out a different path right. to get them there. And I think that the, I held on to that. And, and I think uh, we've got to continue to hang on to the fact that God's never done with our kids. For us to say they didn't achieve something at a certain period of time is to limit God to going, hey, I thought the goal was when, when we die that we're faithful. Not how you get there or what that journey is or how long it takes you. So never giving up is aligning yourself with God who never quits. Excellent. I, I kind of want to, yeah, I want to pipe, pipe in here because I remember, um, you know, going through some tough times with uh, parenting and the kids and stuff like that. And, you know, you get into fixing your kid, you know, trying to like, you know, do the right thing, fix them, uh, take them to the right doctors, whatever. And I remember just having, uh, I think I was reading a book called like, Love Your Teenager. And I just had like this emotional little breakdown, like all I want to do is love my kid. And I kind of had to change my goal in that it wasn't about fixing them, but it really, 1 Corinthians 13 says you can have all the faith, you can sacrifice, you can have the best, you can have the knowledge and the right words, but really love is, you know, with all those things, if you don't have the love, it's going to, it's not going to turn out so great maybe, you know? And so I remember just kind of having to reset my heart and goal to just learn or figure out how to love this kid or all my kids versus having uh, uh, the goal to uh, uh, fix them. Although, you know, obviously I wanted all my children to love God, come to know God, but that, that being a big part of the goal, but I had to just simplify it for me because I don't always feel like I have the most faith and the, the greatest words of wisdom and stuff, but I knew that I could work on myself being more patient, kind, uh, not keeping a record of wrongs or, you know, just the whole definition of love, really trying to work on trying to put that into practice. And that would be, you know, a lifetime goal. I mean, there's days I don't feel like loving anybody. So, you know, it it just became more of a, a better goal for me personally, is that I'm going to love, I'm going to work on loving um, these, you know, my husband and my family versus trying to teach them the, you know, the do's and don'ts, I guess. Right. Well, I think some people out there probably be like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to love my kid, but they don't follow the family rules and they're causing <laughs> havoc in my house. So I think that, what, what, do, you, what do you guys think about that? Because I think what Mary Lee's talking about, is it, it, it's exactly the right concept. 
I 100% agree. But I think sometimes, you know, there's the practical thing of, you know, my kids rebelling against everything I'm doing in the house and they're creating chaos. Mm -hmm. And so how do I love them in that situation? Can you guys give any practicals on that? Just one or two practicals like, because I think you're right. And I, th- I would encourage people to go back and read First Corinthians 13, mm-hmm. which does the best job, it's famous, of defining what love is. Mm-hmm. Because love is not just the compassion and the believing and the hope and the always hoping, but it's also rejoicing with the truth right. and, and, and having an environment of truth. But is there anything someone should keep in mind when you're trying to love because I know this is what you're talking about, Marilee, when you're trying to love somebody, maybe the best way to put it is trying to love somebody who doesn't love you. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Well, I, I, well I'll tell you, I, I asked my kid who was who left God for a long time. We went through a lot of challenges and things that were very hurtful to us. And after she actually came back, I said, what, what, what was going on during that time? What was going through your mind? What and she said, you know, I don't really have any idea. And I, I, I don't think that it's as calculated as my it feels like mm-hmm. that our kid is out to make us right. hurt mm-hmm. and, and destroyed. I think there's a lot of things going on in their own life, mm-hmm. insecurities, things they're trying to work out, how they think they're going to be liked and cared for. I think every kid ends up living some form of a double life because- right. Your parents have one thing that makes them happy, mm-hmm. <laughs> and your friends at school have different set of things that make them happy, and you're trying to manage those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think life is complicated and challenging for them. Mm-hmm. I think that you're the people they're probably the most secure with the most, and so they can act out with you knowing that you're going to still love them and care for them. So right. you're getting sometimes the worst mm-hmm. because you are the place they feel most secure. Yeah. And oh, it seems, wow, that's great. Un, it seems counterintuitive, but they go, this is this is all the things and feelings and things that I, you know, I'm mad about, angry at, and I got somebody I could take it out on because uh, I don't know what else to do. I don't know where else to turn and I don't know how to manage my emotions. Right. Seems feel, it felt very personal at the time, but then as we were talking later, she goes, yeah, I, I didn't have an agenda. Mm-hmm. I just didn't understand my own self. So right. I do think persevering and knowing that, as you said, Russ, 25 is coming, you know, for most of these teens, <laughs> the, the, the brains, a lot changes in that time when they develop and mature physically, emotionally, you know, kind of a thing. So best, best thing is not to take it personally, stay engaged and keep working yeah. the problem. Yeah. Well, I, I, I like the fact, and, and we can kind of begin to close it off on this one, because there'll be at least three more podcasts that'll come up. Uh, after these that'll get more into uh, you guys have alluded to building your family and things like that. But I think a good way to close it out is on the idea of, of that Marilee mentioned about the importance of getting back to love because love is active. It's not passive. Right. It's not right. just sitting around going, I'm going to love you. Even if you, you know, are breaking windows and stealing money or whatever at home. And yeah. I think sometimes when we're in Christian religious circles, we act like kids don't do that. Kids don't right. shoplift. Right. They don't right. swear. Right. They don't, punch things. And I think sometimes I think sometimes I don't even like listening to discussions of parenting in Christian environments because they, it, what they call a problem is not really a problem. Right. And, right. uh, and right. so I want, I want those of you out there who are listening to understand that we're under no delusions, that there are real, real difficult, painful things. Yeah. And we're not going to necessarily go into every detail to every story about everything. Cause it's not fair to kids. Right 
that we know yeah. or have worked with, but you need to know that there there is no way that if you're out there, you're the only one whose kid, you know, left at night, took the car and went off and did something right. uh, in the name of Jesus. I'm just <laughs> joking. <laughs> yes. uh, let me let me close down by giving a couple of things for people to remember. Uh, this is deep spirituality. You'll be hearing some other teen parenting, and we really covered all kinds of parenting today. Uh, podcasts that are coming out. Um, one, uh, two things I want to remind us all about are one first. I think it's First Samuel eight. I wrote it down while 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 Stone was talking, and and I've read this before uh, on many occasions. But Samuel is the prophet of Israel in First Samuel eight. And the people uh, go to Samuel and say, uh, you've been a great leader, but your kids aren't up to par. We don't want them to lead us. And then they say, we want a king. We want a king like all the other nations. And Samuel goes to God and goes, these people are so off base. They want a king. They want to follow a man. They're, they're, they're drifting away. And God says to Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Right. And I think sometimes as parents, we think that it's, our failure when a kid won't do something spiritual that we think they should do. Right. But that's between them and God and they are rejecting God, mm. not necessarily rejecting you. Right. And I think that's important in order to be loving so that we don't take it so personally that we want to, you know, either get depressed or we want to, uh, you know, uh, get some kind of revenge back for all the 30 years we put into the kid and now the kid's not giving us that reward that we talked about earlier, that reward of obedience or whatever it is we're looking for. Uh, the other thing I've observed, I don't do these things well, I'm just observe them and learn from other people, is we have to remember to keep telling our story. Yeah. If you're a Christian, you believe in God, you've had experiences, keep telling that story. Just because you're older doesn't mean your middle school years, your teen years don't matter. Uh, there's a great article uh, in uh, uh, about loneliness, uh, the Making Caring Common Project at Harvard University. And it refers to the fact that, that kids are so lonely today that they really need their parents. They look to their parents and their, their friends as support. But I think, I read a book years ago that said, most parents underestimate their influence and they stop interacting with their kid and engaging their kid because of the conflicts or the difficulty or they don't even know the language or the things the kid is into. And then they seed or give over parenting to the kid's peers. And before mm -hmm. you know it, that seventh graders, eighth graders, ninth graders, 10th graders, they know become more of an influence on them than the parents because the parents in discouragement stop talking and engaging. And I go back to what you've all beautifully talked about is stop worrying about outcomes. And I'm gonna use Marilee's thing again and keep loving your kid. Even when you, like Stone said, even when you think they're not listening, right. uh, they're listening. There's a great yeah. book called Breaking Up With Perfect. Breaking wow. Up With Perfect mm. by Amy Carroll. It's about her life and she talks about the perfect expectations she had of her marriage, the perfect expectations she had of parenting. And she calls, I had the picture of perfect in my head and there was a low level of discomfort in almost everything I did because I expected perfection. She tells a story that her parents, uh, she felt had the greatest marriage of all time and they would wake up every morning and as soon as they got out of the bed, they'd make the bed together. And so she got married. And when her husband didn't jump out of bed and make the bed with her, she felt like this is a total failed marriage. 
we're totally bombing out. But she talks in, in a humorous way about the fact that she never actually told her husband that that was her expectation. <laughs> she just went around with a low level of discontent. And so, and, 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 and when you get in that perfect mode and have that perfect picture, you keep critiquing everyone around you. So you can read that uh, book, Breaking Up with Perfect by Amy Carroll, if you want. There's another book called Parenting Teens with Intense Emotions. Oh, wow. Parenting mm-hmm. Teens with Intense Emotions by Pat Harvey and Britt Rathbone. And that's, it's a lot to read. You might get super emotional reading it. So you might want to take one chapter or half a chapter at a time, but it really helps you understand what Stone was talking about. Sometimes kids have stuff going on inside of them they don't even understand. Right. Right. And so- you know that, that and stone really helped me and just not 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 thinking that the kids calculating or trying to right. do anything uh another uh, great book and it looks like i forgot to write the author down how to talk so teens will listen and listen so teens will talk yeah. that's been well known and recommended by a lot of people and then i'll end with two that i think will help people that are facing a lot of you know defiance at home uh Born to be Wild by Jess P. Shatkin uh, is a book about why teens take risk and how we can help keep them safe. And that book gets into the fact that the teen brain doesn't mature till about the age of 25. Uh, And so we need to be aware of that. And you've probably heard that referred to when it comes to gun laws, that some people think, you know, you shouldn't drive a car, you shouldn't have a gun until you're in that age. I'm not making a political statement. I'm saying that's how relevant the age number is on the yeah. brain. Yeah. Uh, and then this book, uh, Your Defiant Teen. Now this is a serious book. Mm. This is a book when you're dealing with teens who are basically walking out on you, uh, uh, defying every rule, saying they don't care, don't care about the consequences you're gonna deliver, don't care about anything. They're just basically in full on defiance. And it explains a lot about why, it explains how, it gives you some tips and even some programs to look at by one of the top experts in the country, Russell A. Barkley, PhD, uh, but it's also co-written by Arthur L. Robin and with Christine M. Bitten. It's called Your Defiant Teen. And so there are some tools, there are some things to think about. Uh, I thank the Kims and the Eliezer's for sharing. It's always hard to share about parenting because nobody wants to act like they know it all. We all know we don't, don't know it all. Don't. But what we're trying to do today in talking about the myth of the, the, the myth, the perfection myth about raising families, what we're trying to do is relieve the stress. If you're out there sitting at a, in a, in a small group, uh, watching at home, just, just try not to be so down on yourself. Right. Right. Try not to be so uh, negative as Ray talked about early. And I wanna leave you with some lyrics because I love music. Mm. Nice. There's an old, 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 well I shouldn't call him old, he wouldn't like that. Marvin Sapp has been around a long time singing music and he has a song called Close. And I'll end with these lyrics and he sings, I must be close to my destiny, extremely close. I'm extremely close to my victory. Yes, I am. Cause here comes trials and troubles and jealousy and envy. I must be close. I must be close to what you have for me. I must be close, extremely close to my miracles. Cause here comes confusion and problems and enemies. I just believe that I'm close to what you have for me. I'll be walking, 
I'll hold the steps that you have planned for me. Living by faith, a bright future I see. I won't be swayed by the obstacles that I face for my victory is secured if I stay in grace. That's why I just believe, I know that I know that I must be close to what you have for me. Anybody out there that thinks that what they want, what they dream is not going to come true. If it's really hard right now, it's because you must be close. Marvin Sapp, thanks to the Kims, thanks to the Lasers. This is D-Spirituality. Check us out at dspirituality.com. You can listen to all kinds of wonderful podcasts. You can read articles. The articles even read to you if you push the play button and you don't even have to read them. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Kims. Thanks, Ilyasers. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.